Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we are here to discuss Season 4, Episode 14 of Farscape. Twice Shy. Does it matter that we're in tormented space at all anymore? It comes up in this episode and I completely forgot about it. Because technically we're not in the Uncharted Territories anymore. We're in tormented Tormented space. space. But like... it. What do you mean by matters? Like... For a while, it was like an engine for plot devices. Like, oh no, Moya can't do whatever because the space is too tormented in the tormented space. Well, they fixed her tormentedness, but... <laughs> and that's just regular space. Well, no, uncharted territories are ironically now pretty charted. So the engine that gets this episode moving is needing to buy star charts from some passing traders by the way before we start we wanted to do a content warning it's kind of weird because we're, we're doing a content warning for you know your typical late 90s early 2000s sci-fi bullshit where there's like a sex trafficked woman it's not great but also spoiler alert that's not what's actually happening but we figured we should warn you anyway if that Because we'll be discussing it. Yeah, and if that sort of thing bothers you. I guess just give this episode a skip. Like, we're probably not going to mention it after the first 20 minutes, but I can't really put a guarantee on that, so... Yeah. Yeah. Or just, you know, be prepared, or... Yeah, if, if you what need, have if, you. If you need to check out, that's totally understandable. Um, but like I said, spoiler alert, that's not really what's happening. Late 90s, early 2000s sci-fi... And it's weird because it's one of those things that gets kind of really normalized in the genre. It's so normalized. Like, I forget how just ubiquitous it is. It's just everywhere. Yeah, like, Star Wars had it. And Star Wars is like a really family-friendly, you know... Property. Yeah, about fighting space fascism. But, I mean, yeah. Yeah! Fighting space fascism, or... Any fascism should always be a family activity. <laughs> yes. So even even Star Wars has it, which is really, really weird. It's a weird thing that there's like, that Jabba has a pleasure yacht like that. Uh, although I know we've mentioned it on this very podcast before, but I think it bears repeating. When somebody asked Carrie Fisher what they should tell their daughter about, you know, Princess Leia in the Slave Leia outfit, her answer was, you should tell them that she was captured by a slug monster and she choked him with her chains. I remember uh, a webcomic I used to read mention it, it had a it had a joke about how the easiest way, if you're a gay guy looking for another gay guy and you're both kind of nerds, the best way to find out if he's gay without asking is to ask him what he thought of uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh-huh. And if he does not mention Slave Leia, he's probably gay. So, my favorite joke. Okay, so you know I love when jokes trust the audience to fill in the gaps and, like, understand how the joke got to where it is. Like, I I did actually a TikTok about how my favorite joke is on Stargate, where Claudia Black's character is taking the test to determine, or is, is online because they're going to make her take a test to make sure that she's not possessed by the thing bobbers. Well, so her character is a former host. Mm-hmm. They just want to make sure she's trustworthy so they can let her onto the team. And she's reading down the test questions and she's like, you come across a turtle. It's stuck on its back. You don't flip it over. Why not? And so you, that's the Voight comp test from Blade Runner that tests whether or not you're, you're a human or a replicant, which, which means that Val, Claudia Black's character sat down at the computer and typed in test to determine if I'm human. And that's just, that's just charming to me. Anyway, uh, in the movie, Paul, you Mm -hmm. know, the Seth Rogen movie with the alien. Yeah. 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 Okay. Never really gets beyond its premise. No, it does not. But at the end, um, when he's like with Kristen Wiig and she shows up and she shows up as Leia in the bounty hunter disguise that she uses to sneak into Jabba's palace. And I just love that because the joke is obviously that he asked her to dress up like Leia for Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I love it when jokes, like, uh, allow the audience to fill in the premise of the joke. Okay. So, 
I know that you wouldn't let me show you an episode of Red Dwarf because I can only push it so far with showing you sci-fi bullshit. Yeah, it's 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 sci-fi bullshit and it's British comedy, which is either really, really good or not. And I've seen a few episodes of Red Dwarf and I like it okay, but not really enough to keep wanting to watch any more of it. Okay, but I think it's very important that I just read you the plot description of this episode of Red Dwarf that aired over 10 years before this episode of Farscape that we're about to talk about. All right. Okay, this is the episode, this episode three from series three. It's called Polymorph. And a non-human life form with shape-changing properties gets aboard Red Dwarf. The crew discovers that the creature is a genetic mutant called a polymorph that's designed to leech off of its target's negative emotions, right? So it attacks Lister and sucks out his fear, and then Lister's walking around all, like, brave with no fear, which is a bad idea. And then all of the others encounter it. Isn't he a hologram? No, that's Rimmer. Oh, okay. But Rimmer still gets attacked. Yes, he's a hologram, but he still has emotions, right? Mm. So it drains Rimmer's ang- it, it, it stokes up his anger really high, and then it drains it out, right? It stokes up Cat's vanity, and then it drains it out. It, it stokes up Crichton's guilt, and then it drains it out. And now they have to figure out how to fight this creature, oh, even right. though There's all of these Crichton. emotions have been drained out. Right. Oh, There's a Crichton in, in Red Dwarf. I wasn't even thinking about that, because it's spelled differently, so in my head, it like, yeah. Is he the robot? Is yeah, it... he's the robot. Okay. I'm just saying, that's like, that's not like, oh, it's, it's, it's a stock plot. Like, that is an identical episode to this episode. Yes, that is, that is an accurate statement. Yes, it is the same exact plot. I just, so, uh, spoilers, that's the plot of this week's episode of Farscape. Let's talk about it. So, as a reminder, Aaron is with child. Okay, they don't actually do that bit. But she is, and it's vaguely relevant for a little bit of the first part, because uh, John has been taking space drugs to help him space forget his space love for Aaron. Yes. Space Aaron. And Aaron found out about that last episode. And she's not happy about it, but that's all the previously on. What's currently happening is that Naranti and Rigel are negotiating with these aliens with very, very bad skin. Like... They're just aliens with, like, boils and shit all over their face. I bring this up, not to be mean. Okay. But rather because we're just led to believe when this episode starts that that's just what that alien makeup looks like. And we will learn that, no, that's because they're being attacked by this creature. They're, like, dying of the poison or whatever. You know what? I'm really, I'm still not clear, honestly, on how this creature kills people. Yeah, it's... It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It feels like it was written by, like, five different people who were in five different rooms and weren't really allowed to communicate with each other. Yes. Yes, that is exactly how this episode feels. I also... There's a lot going on right now. Aaron is with child, Max, lest you forget. Okay, we have to deal with that. We have to deal with the wormhole shit. I mean, kind of. We have to deal with Greza coming after John. Oh my god, Greza. We haven't seen Greza in, like, ages. We have to deal with what's going on on Earth. Wasn't she on Moya? What happened with that? What happened with that, indeed? My point <laughs> is, we are in the home stretch here. We don't have time for this bullshit filler episode. And the episode tries to justify its existence by, in the last 30 seconds... Actually moving the plot along and pretending that we wouldn't have gotten there if it weren't for, like, John and Aaron getting their emotions sucked out, but that's not accurate. I like to call this Losting. I stopped watching Lost around the time where I realized I could just watch the first two minutes and the last three minutes of any given episode and get all of the information I needed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was around season three, I think, whatever season the Jack's Tattoo episode happened in, which was the episode that made me give up on Lost. Many people gave up on that episode. I do want to say, in fairness to Farscape, that this is before the kind of serialized television that, that Lost is. Hmm. So Lost had less excuse than Farscape. But anyway, Naranti and Rigel are negotiating for the, the maps. They're all... Doing hard negotiating. I'll give you three lifters of 
Caswagle oil. Oh, but that doesn't hold much value in this sector. You know, space. Space negotiation. Yeah. Spagotiations, as we like to call them. They uh, they strike what they feel like is a good deal, and they're all proud of themselves. But then, just before the traders are about to leave, they're like, oh, wait, one more trade. And they drag this woman off of their ship, and they're like, buy the sex slave off of us. We're done with her. And it's extraordinarily gross. There's so much bad about it. And All like, of Moya's crew is weirdly casual about this, except for Chiana. Yeah, Chiana is horrified, and Chiana's like, no, 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 that's not, Chiana pulls out a gun immediately, she's like, that, this is not, we're not all about this, and no one else is backing her. Which is so weird, John is right there, I know he's high or whatever, but seriously, it's, it's such a bizarre choice to have no one else care about this. She even points out, she's like, do you all not remember being prisoners? Yeah, one of the things I feel like, it's it's not a bad thing, but it kind of makes it feel like the only reason Chiana really cares about this is because this is what happened to her at the beginning of this season. They make reference to the fact that she was assaulted when she was being held prisoner. Yeah. Very offhandedly in the first episode of this season, and I feel like they're kind of bringing that back here by her reminding them of what it was to be a prisoner. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly, John and Dargo both are not wanting to do this specifically because they're like, oh, well, this is obviously a trap. Mm. Like, we're not going to bring a strange person we don't know onto the ship because that is a trap. Okay, and, okay, okay. The thing about this is, spoilers. No, that's spo- what I wanted to talk about. Go ahead. Okay, spoilers. They're right. This woman's a spider who eats emotions or something. Oh, oh, no, don't mumble. <laughs> Say that loud and proud. She's a spider who eats emotions. So the moral of this episode seems to be don't help people who are in trouble, which is bizarre, although I guess not always bad advice okay if i was gonna rewrite this episode i would make stronger and more explicit what i feel like this episode might be wanting to talk about so remember scorpius is on the ship right now Mm -hmm. and the reason scorpius is on the ship is because aaron brought him on because she had the heat delirium and she needed somebody to save her from the heat delirium and i would be doing a parallel with how Scorpius has been brought onto the ship and this is a dangerous element that has been brought on just like this woman is a dangerous element being brought onto the ship. I would like juxtapose those two things. I would make it much more explicit. And then at the end of the episode, when we learn what we learn, it would make, it it would be stronger. It, It would tie it back to the rest of the episode. And I don't, I don't know. I, I think if I was in charge of writing this episode, I would have just written something else. Well, sure. I, I, I know. I'm in an ideal world, but... And then also, I just want to say, uh, I'm very uncomfortable with the fact that they have a black actress playing this character. It's, uh... Yeah. It's... It's not great. It's not great. It's not great. Anyway, Chiana buys her so that she's... You know, she buys her freedom. Now she's on the ship, and Dargo and John are like, okay, but we're going to drop her at the next habitable planet, right? Because we don't, we don't trust people on this ship, even though that's how literally everyone else got on this ship. Look, Naranti is right there! <laughs> Naranti just showed up. But whatever. So the woman has this weird, sexy staring contest with Chiana, and then Chiana tries to touch her, and the woman slaps her, and then she runs around and she does this weird vibrating yellow eye thing. Well, I think we're supposed to be seeing things from her point of view, because yeah, she's yeah. got, like, arachnid eyes or whatever. She's essentially taking in all of the other crew members and seeing what their strongest emotions are so she can activate them, I think. Sure. That's... Sure. So Aaron's like, hey, John... Using drugs on purpose for once, huh? What's that about? And John's like, I think you know what it's about. Baby? Baby? It's weird because she's so mad at him and... She hits him. She hits hits him. Which is also one of those things like, you know, in a real relationship, 
leave immediately, run. This is, but in this sort of show, it's really kind of normalized to the point that it barely registered when it happened. Yeah. You should not hit someone you're in a romantic relationship with. I know that's a super hot take or whatever, but like, don't, don't hit the people you're in relationships with and don't stay with people who hit you. Okay, a couple things. Even ex-relationships. Yeah, go on. I mean, don't hit anyone. Yeah, hitting is bad. Which I bring up only because they're not in a relationship right now. Yeah, but they're not not in a relationship. I mean, that is kind of what's going on this episode. And there's this weird thing where after they have the whole discussion where Aaron is like, this is not okay. And John is like, well, I can't trust you because of all the stuff with Scorpius and because you didn't tell me what was going on. And she's like, well, you lied to me. Like, their fight is, their fight is uncomfortable. It's not, it's not, like, heart-rending. It's just very uncomfortable. And when Aaron is like, okay, well, we're just never going to get back together. We are never getting back together. And then she leaves and John's like, you know what? It's fine. She's obviously in love with me. Everything's great. He refers to his drugs as poppers, which... Someone either did not know what that meant or very much did know what that meant. Because what an interesting thing for John to be into. Huh. I was just assuming it was somebody who didn't really know what poppers were. Yeah, or, yeah. Or... I, I think someone thought they were making up slang. Oh, no, no, no. I don't think someone thought they were making up slang. The thing is, the way poppers are ingested the way you just kind of sniff and inhale them that's the way john has been taking in this drug so you think someone did know what poppers were well they knew the like aesthetics of it but they didn't know what it is used for because it's kind of the opposite of what john is using it for Mm. Mm. john is kind of using this to kill the boner Mm. not to get too explicit about what poppers are used for i mean the name kind of indicates I never realized that poppers were supposed to be about the effect. I thought it was supposed to be about, like, the way you feel when you... Like I said, it is the way you... I never realized that! Yeah, it's more clever than you <laughs> thought, right? For a given value of the word clever. Uh, anyway, Chiana is getting the, the, the new woman a new outfit, and... Okay. Her trying to take her under her wing is the most awkward thing in the universe. Yeah, yeah. Also, she puts her in this outfit, and she's like, oh, this looks really sexy. And the thing is, first of all, no, it doesn't. This is a terrible outfit, Shana. It looks like you put her in a potato sack. <laughs> Secondly, this woman was, as far as you know, she was just a sex slave, and you're like, you look super sexy. That is not trauma-informed, Chiana. Seriously, that's... I mean, it's not the situation, and... Chiana is mega horny for this lady, which, wow. Okay, yeah, in, in fairness to Chiana, in, in fairness <laughs> in to Chiana. In all fairness to Chiana. The woman is a spider who feeds on people's emotions, who is giving off, I don't know, like a pheromone or something that is making everybody feel their strongest emotions super strong. So Chiana's feeling super horny. Is horny an emotion? Yes. Yes, it is. Apparently. Oh my god, it's a Zoidberg thing. Is urge to mate an emotion? Oh, I was actually thinking about arrested development. That feeling you're feeling is what normal people call feelings. I know what erection feels like, Michael. <laughs> but yeah, Chiana's mega horny and she's rubbing up on this uncomfortable lady who is, spoiler alert, a giant spider. You just can't you can't stop mentioning that enough. Giant spider. Uh, she asked Chiana if she's ever been with women, uh, so Chiana confirmed bisexual. Yeah. Because she's like, yep. She, so, she does not say yes, because I feel like they still wouldn't let her say yes on the on, on the show, but she does not say no, and yes is heavily implied, so. She also makes out with the giant spider lady. I was kind of impressed. I was kind of impressed at how much, like, lady on lady making out they were allowing. Yeah. I wonder if they had the same, like, really, really strict guidelines that uh, Buffy had, although probably not because no, it was cable, so. Well, that's the thing. I don't think they did because they're going at it. Like, we're, we're seeing them make out. There's no, like, artful looking away. There's no, like, floating the rose or anything like that. Well, the first time Willow and Tara kissed in Buffy in season five in uh-huh. The Body, which is a weird episode to have a first kiss, but mm, a first on-screen kiss, we can assume that right. they 
but but there the network had all of these stipulations like you couldn't be able to see a bed in the same shot while they were kissing and like they needed to be shot from like I think it was like the chest up or something. They, there were all of these really weird specific rules around Willow and Tara's first kiss. Okay, here's here's the thing. Yeah. Just just rewatch under my spell. Okay, that's after they switch networks though. Oh, okay, that's fair. After they switch networks, they can have an entire song that is just Tara singing about how great it is that Willow is currently eating her out. Spread beneath my willow tree is literally a line of that song. And then, like... You make me come plead. Like, there's, there's, <laughs> like Jesus Christ. You, you, like, they, there is literally... Like, it, it shifts up so that we're only seeing Tara... But we are we are literally watching a sex act on screen. Yeah, we see Willow moving down her body as it pans up to Tara and And then Tara has a musical orgasm. Tara has a musical orgasm. It's not subtle. Okay, okay, this is not this is not welcome to the Hellmouth, which is a shame because I have a lot to say about Willow and Tara's relationship and about how magic starts out as a metaphor for lesbianism, and then it becomes a metaphor for addiction, and what are we even doing here? But that is not what we're here for today. We're here for Chiana making out with the spider lady. And then Erin is in the doorway, and she's like, Chiana, what the fuck is wrong with you? And, because, you know, it's not okay. Wow, Erin sure is being forthright with her emotions, something that is unusual for, or super usual for Erin. This is a character trait of Aaron's, I guess. I don't even know. But Chiana drags Aaron away, or vice versa, Aaron drags Chiana away. But then Chiana's like, okay, well then we should have sex. And Aaron's like, no. Chiana's like, hard pass. Chiana's like, well, what if I just go have sex with Crichton? You're not using him. And I'm like, Chiana, you just had sex with him last week. Do you not remember that? He wants to compare Teen John to post trauma John. I feel like the the two Johns you would want to compare are pre-Trauma John and post-Trauma John, not teen John and post-Trauma John. I kind of feel like maybe you don't need to be comparing Johns. Ooh, ooh, unless... Uh, Unless it's John and other John. Unless it's John and Scar John. Obviously before Scar John... Obviously before John Scar Joe's death. Yeah, yeah. Wait, no. Scar Joe, right? Isn't Scar Joe the one who died? No, Scar Joe's the one who's still alive. No, you're right. Scar just the one that died. Yeah. Because they're not doing that scar makeup every week. Right. So now the spider lady goes to talk to John. And this is the first time where we get the impression about what's going on with her. Because as soon as she starts talking to John, she shifts from being like the super sexy seductress that she was with Chiana and instead begins mirroring John's personality traits. So she's like all smiley and cheerful and making pop culture references. <laughs> oh my God. Who is she? Darius from Mode. I was actually thinking about Famke Jensen from the episode of Star Trek The Perfect Mate. Which is an episode... Oh, yeah, she she mirrors the person who unboxes her. Lady in the Box in sci-fi, it's totally a trope. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they know. know. If they're listening to this podcast, they know. Also, a weird thing I feel like we're moving out of. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, Back, back when Lady in the Box was the trope... The most, the most you could hope for as a feminist was that you would decide to imprint on Picard so that you had made a choice and that you chose to imprint on a person that you weren't going to be allowed to mate with so that you could, like, be yourself even though you don't have a self until you choose to imprint and then you're just going to have to fake it with your future husband for the rest of your life. That's what happens in that episode. Yeah, uh, well, you... what you you could uh you could be River Tam from Firefly and be a psychic waif girl who kills people. That's more fun than the thing you just said, I guess. Well, it's just that like the the yay feminism ending is well, I'm gonna choose who to imprint to, even though I don't get to choose who I'm married off to. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm saying that like faux feminism of River Tam is better than that. She was just a little girl who got tortured and had parts of her brain cut out 
to unleash her psychic powers, which mostly involves her killing people with dance kung fu. Yeah. Sexy dance fighting. Also, her uh, her older brother used to be Zac Efron when they were kids. Yes, that is accurate. It's an accurate statement. Anyway, back on Moya. Dargo's checking out the maps that everybody got, and he's like, oh, yeah, these are accurate. I can tell they're accurate because the places we've been are accurately portrayed, so all of it must be accurate, which I guess is the only way you can really yeah. gauge if a map is accurate. And then Rigel, for... I just... I don't know why Rigel thinks Dargo's going to think this is cool, but he's like, hey, Dargo, you want to hear something fun? I totally paid them with counterfeit money! Yeah, why would he tell Dargo that? Like... Has Dargo ever wanted to hear anything fun? Never never mind something that is not fun at all and is actively going to come back and immediately bite them in the ass. Right? Well, I mean, it won't. Well, yeah, but when did he even have the time to make fake money? I, 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 you can't get into it, but also, like, like, isn't the currency, wouldn't it be radically different in Tormented Space? Also, wouldn't it be different from planet to planet? This is the thing that happens when you lack, like, a pan-galactic federation or whatever to standardize currency. Okay, well, so whatever type of currency the traders use. And credits. Well, they're not actually called credits. Let's just assume that it's scaring money. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, it's probably the dollar you'd want to get behind. Yeah. And it's got, like, braille shit on it. And Rigel, like, punched another pip into it. It doesn't seem like it should be that easy. But that's what he did. Yeah, I mean, I guess Scarens are psychic, so they don't have to worry about making their money hard to fake. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Scorpius doesn't have any psychic powers, does he? He's just really smart. Yes, that is true. So, I feel like we're supposed to think that this was an extra greedy thing that Rigel did, like, above and beyond what he normally does greed-wise. Uh, he's he's turned them over multiple times. But this puts them in more danger because they're going to need to continue to deal with these guys, and now if they get caught, they're, they're all, like, SOL. Hmm. But that makes me think the implication is that the spider creature did this, but she didn't because Rigel did this before she was on the ship. Yeah. But whatever. Rigel is being super greedy, Dargo's being super angry, and John comes in and tries to break it up because he's super optimistic. Hey, guess where this is going? I don't really think of optimism as one of John's main traits. Right? Like, obstinance, maybe? I feel like obstinance is probably John's main trait. Is that a character trait? Okay, okay, okay. So Pilot is having issues, and John is like, hey, Pilot, you can do this. And then he pulls out a Stuart Smalley reference. He says, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and God darn it, people like you. Stuart Smalley reference. Which makes me think that the actual thing that the spider woman should have eaten out of John was his pop culture references. Yeah. 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 She should be like, Skipper and Gilligan! Rocky and Bullwinkle! That, that, uh, the horse... That has the banjo that's like a cop. Quick draw McGraw. I was actually thinking that, like, I was actually imagining her attacking him and sucking out all of his pop culture references. And then somebody being like, John, I choo choo choose you. And him being like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Keep in mind, whenever John makes a pop culture reference, he has had non-elective brain surgery. And... I guess, no, he elected to do it because it was trying to get the chip out of his head. So he had elective brain surgery that rem that involved removing large parts of his memory. And he got to choose what to keep. So whenever he makes a pop culture reference, that is something he consciously chose to trade another memory for. So that means that he chose to keep Al Franken's pop psychology character from Saturday Night Live in his brain. But not his sister. <laughs> because where was she the last few seasons? You can't just dawn up a sister, John. Alright, so Chiana goes to John's quarters and is just like climbing on top of him and trying to bang. And he's like, no, we're not doing this. And I... It's not very optimistic of you, John. <laughs> oh. Anyway, Scorpius is standing in the doorway and... 
I mean, I guess that would be a pretty big boner killer. Yeah, right. <laughs> Scorpius kind of goes for it with Chiana, and Chiana's like, wait, nope, limit to my horniness. Bye. So mean. But it's just Scorpius. This episode, you know what this episode made me miss? What? Harvey. Yeah, that would have been a cool thing to have. This episode really made me miss Harvey, especially because there's a scene where Scorpius, like, talks to John about what's happening, and he, like, tries to get him to realize what's going on in his brain, and I'm like, oh, the show is, the show is struggling with how to do this because this is exactly the kind of thing that Harvey, in John's head, would have let him know was going on. Yeah. Anyway. But Harvey's dead now. Dead forever. Yeah, he really is. So instead, Scorpius comes in and tells John, hey, everyone's acting really weird. And John's like, are you saying that there's a trial tick situation? Which is a reference to Crackers Don't Matter because John's pop culture references all got sucked out. So now he can only make references to previous episodes of Farscape. So essentially, everyone now knows that this woman that they brought onto the ship is some sort of alien who's doing some sort of thing. And they're chasing her down on the ship because she's trying to hide on the ship. Stop, in the name of nothing. Yeah, they're escaped prisoners. They have no authority here. Citizens arrest. They're not even that. Criminals arrest. Criminals arrest. So we see her transformation. Okay, the thing about this is... is The puppeteers were like, fuck you all, we hate this episode, we're not building you a spider puppet. Yeah, this is really good CG for the time period it came out in. Is it? Yeah, I mean, I've been watching Charmed, so yes. Okay. But this is a show that, like, exists on puppets. It is really weird that this spider thing is not a puppet. I, honestly, the fact that it's not a puppet makes me feel especially like, I, 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 like, I'm not watching Farscape. Like, I'm watching some weird alternate universe thing that's trying to be Farscape. Like, I'm watching some weird fan film that's like... We kind of understand how Farscape works, but not really. So. The puppets are the core of Farscape. Not this fucking CGI spider creature. Which spits some weird goo on Aaron and John and then scuttles off. And Aaron and John wipe the goo off and they're like, uh, that probably won't come back later. Also, they both have like scar. They, they, they have, they both have face injuries now. So she's sucked the stuff out of them, right? She sucked out John's optimism. You know, that defining trait of John Crichton. See, it's like the people who wrote this episode don't know the cast of of Farscape, of the show they're writing for. Yeah, I mean, John is someone who developed a drug habit to deal with his emotions for a co-worker. (laughs) So I don't really feel like optimism is a defining factor here. And honestly, I'm never clear about what they sucked out of Aaron. Like, her ability to talk about how she's feeling? I don't know. But everyone shut up, Sakozu's here. Yeah, Sakozu walks in on the spider creature sucking out something from Darga, which of course will be his anger, and then she runs away because she's not she's not about to get bitten. Yeah, she's like, not dealing with this today. Which incidentally she okay. <laughs> I love Sakozu. I love I love Sakozu's like, whoop, Sakozu out, motherfuckers. You can have fun with the spider creature. I'm going to be hanging out back here until you're done. So the episode tells us that Sakozu is, I guess, immune to what what the spider creature does, but we never find out why. Why is Sakozu immune? And she is still acting weird this episode. Well, okay, instead of draining her emotions since it can't, the spider creature just rips her arm and leg off. So I feel like she has earned the right to act weird. (laughs) Okay, yes. It is lucky that the spider creature did this to the one person who it does not matter if you rip their arms and legs off. Yeah, they can reattach them. Scorpius comes in and Scorpius and Naranti find her all gone to pieces. Ugh, boo. And Scorpius is like all protective boyfriend. He's like, I will find who did this to you and I will kill her. And Naranti's like, okay, let's, let's fix her first. And then you can go do whatever it is that you want to do. You're at a seven. I need you at like a three. And the reason Scorpius is at a seven is because his scarin half is coming out. Oh my god. Uh huh. That's not how. That's not how that works. That's not how being half scarin works. 
No, oh, no, his, his scared half's coming. It's like Cole and his demon half. Oh my god, it is like Cole and his demon half. Like if he's if his mom was a demon and his dad was human, he should be half human and half demon, not a human and a demon sharing a meat suit. That's not how that should work. I mean, that's pretty much exactly what's going on with Scorpius, right? He's he's a Sebastian and a Scarin sharing a meat suit. That's why he has to wear that leather to like keep it all contained. And, I, and now I have to admit something. Mm-hmm. When Scorpius gets all protective of Sukozu, I kind of think it's sexy, and I'm kind of here for it. I'm, I'm kind of here for their relationship. I Are you going to watch Ron Perlman's Beauty and the Beast now? No, but that's not the same thing. Is it not? Well, the thing I was about to tell you that I'm a sucker for, two villains just, like, finding love with each other. Oh, I thought it was the whole, I'm going to find who did this and rip his dick off and beat him to death with it, because apparently that's a lot of Beauty and the Beast with Ron Perlman. Oh, yeah, no, no. Like, just the fact that Scorpius is, like, showing such strong emotions for Sokozu is what, like, hits me hard, because I just love two villains finding love with each other. That's why, okay, honestly, I feel like Smallville made a huge mistake when they decided not to let Lex and Lana be together. You can tell how bad this episode is because we're talking about Smallville. <laughs> you made it way further into Smallville than I did. Well, spoilers for Smallville then, I guess. I think I gave up in, like, season two. I was just so irritated because they were such a great, like, evil marriage. And the show was like, okay, but at some point we can't betray the character of Lana Lang. So Lex and Lana are going to have to break up because we have to end where the Superman mythos starts. And I'm like, fuck it. Who cares? Who cares? You've changed so much stuff already. Just let them fuck. Also, I'm totally sure that Lana Lang and Lex Luthor have had sex in canon. I mean, they they had sex in Smallville too. But I mean, just let them stay together. No, I mean, like, we're a couple later in. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure they were. I can't swear to it but i think in the 90s like after he stopped posing as his own son or maybe before he started posing as his own son see this is this is the continuity that smallville thought was so important to preserve well okay he he got he got cancer because he kept a chunk of kryptonite next to his nards for like 10 years and it turns out that alien poison is also people poison see that's really that's really a bad idea. Like, Lex Luthor's supposed to be a smart scientist. So, he had his mind put in a clone body. Uh-huh. Which was, uh, which had a a long mane of hair, red hair. Of course, Lex Luthor's hair is red. Everybody and, knows that. And a chin beard. Oh, all beards are chin beards. That's where they grow. <laughs> a beard with no mustache. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. And... And he posed, he, he was posing as his own son who had an Australian accent because he was from Australia. And that's why he, nobody knew Lex Luthor had a kid. And everyone knew it was Lex Luthor. Like, it fooled nobody. And eventually all of his hair fell out again and he was just Lex Luthor in a younger body. And they dropped the whole son thing, but... Okay, which one, which one married Lana Lang? That's the thing. I don't know. I, I remember it happened, but I... I don't think married. I just think dated. Okay. And then he went on to become president. No, I knew that. No, but can you imagine voting for, like, being like, hmm, I'm going to vote for Uh this independent candidate who routinely puts on power armor and tries to beat up Superman and also briefly posed as his own son. It is the year of our Lord 2023, and you are asking me if I find it believable that various, various absurd characters got elected yeah okay point i think it's interesting he runs as a uh independent see and that's the least believable part that an in- someone running independent would win president yes yeah yeah and i'm pretty sure it ended up being legitimate like he lost the office after going nuts again and trying to ram a kryptonite meteor into earth or something but uh like People voted for Lex Luthor. Like, it wasn't a scheme. I mean, it was a scheme, but, like... It was a scheme to become president, though, that's, like... Yeah. People voted for Lex Luthor, which, I don't know. 
I mean, having a supervillain president really worked out for the people of Latveria, so... There you go. Anyway, on Moya, the crew is realizing that all their emotions have been drained out. John's all like, oh, we're all gonna die, which I don't feel like that's that different for you, John. But We talked for 15 minutes about other stuff and nothing happened. The traders are coming back. The ship has turned to come back. And Rangel's like, oh, maybe they want money. Let's give them all our money. And Darga's like, well, we can definitely negotiate with them calmly because I'm not angry. And Chiana is the one who's realizing what's going on because everybody else has lost an emotion that lets them function, like that has a survival mechanism to it. And she's like, wait a second. Wait a second. I'm not horny. (laughs) She's Steve in the episode of American Dad where Steve stops masturbating. She's even like, she's like, the the, the gears are turning like that gif. (laughs) And she's like, Dargo, kiss me. And Argo does. Before she's like in front of everybody, she's like, just do it. And then she's like, I don't feel any any tickle, tickle. in my vagina. So, huh. We're all gonna die. <laughs> Chiana's not horny. We are all going to die. And here's what I have to say about that. Yeah. Tag yourself, I'm Chiana. <laughs> I just, I feel such a connection to Chiana. I really, really do. Meanwhile, Scorpius and Naranti are putting Jewel back together, so enjoy this scene. Sakozu. Sakozu. You called her Jewel. Oh, <laughs> whoops. Poor, good Jewel. Poor say good Jewel. GJ. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but yes, Sakozu. They're they're all putting Sakozu back together like Humpty Dumpty, except successfully. I'm sure. People with a very specific interest would probably enjoy this scene. Do you think that was a force behind Sokozu having this particular power? I know we talked a little bit about obvious fetish stuff in multiple episodes of our podcast about Charmed for obvious reasons. Okay, I actually don't think it was a fetish thing. I think it was... I think they just wanted to do the shock value of having her lose a hand and then just be like, don't worry, she can just stick it back on. Mm. It's just she's been mutilated a lot, and it's huh. uncomfortable as someone who does not have that particular interest. I mean, I'm, I, I mean that makes sense because mutilation is gross, and that's probably why they put it in. But you definitely be questioning it now. I wasn't before, but you definitely have me questioning it now. Sorry, I feel like that's you can't you can't look into everything that happens in a sci-fi show or fantasy show too hard. Like, sometimes you just need a thread or a cool, weird power. It's just monkey singing songs, mate. It's just monkey singing songs, mate. But at the back of your mind, you're going to wonder a little bit. Okay. Speaking of wondering. Yes. What is going on with the traitors? Okay. Because they turned around, they come back to Moya, and they dock because they're all going to die now, right? Like, one of them stumbles out of the ship and dies, and then the crew goes into the trader's ship to see them all, like... Suffering and dying because they've been drained by the spider woman. But <laughs> they're all dying from lack of emotions. They're Padme Amidala-ing. But I don't understand what their plan was. Like, I get initial. Oh, you know what? I started talking it out and now I realize what it was. Okay. I, initially, they realized that this woman was an evil spider creature who was draining their emotions. So they got her off the ship by selling her to the Moya crew And then when they left and realized that they were going to die anyway, they turned back around so that they could meet back up with her and do whatever they needed to do to survive. Okay. All right. Never mind. I talked talked myself around to understanding what was going on with the traitors. They shouldn't have sold her. They should have just killed her and turned her into soup and then ate her to get her powers back. Their emotions back. See, the thing is, listeners, what he just said sounds horrifying, but is in fact how this episode is going to end. Another thing that makes me uncomfortable. Hey, we're going to kill and eat this sentient creature? Now, in fairness, (laughs) in fairness, later on in the episode when John's like, why are you doing this? She's like, because this is what I eat. My species eats uh, eats your species. Like, it's not personal. It's just dinner. (laughs) So... Turnabout's fair play, right? But Yes, I suppose turnabout is fair play. But it nonetheless I makes me already... uncomfortable that somebody wrote 
they kill this lady and eat her. Yes, exactly. Like, in the in the context of the show, I don't blame the characters, but a writer had to sit down and decide that that was a thing that was going to happen. In the back of your mind. Jesus Christ! <laughs> anyway, the traitors are all dead, and we can see that they're... the. This, the lesions on their skin got very, very bad because apparently when you don't have emotions, it causes boils to break out on your face or something. <laughs> Someone got paid to write this episode, huh? Guess so. No, I think as you as you stated earlier, five different people <laughs> in different rooms who were allowed to talk to each other got paid to write this episode. I mean, that's not what happened, but that sure does feel like what happened. Yeah, so... Uh... One of the guys who's dying in the ship is like, hey, that lady's a spider who eats emotions or whatever, and then she lays eggs in you or something, and the eggs start killing you, blah. Okay. It's except, it's a lot of stuff. Except he doesn't. He doesn't expose it. He's just like, Aaron's like, what happened? And he's like, well, what happened was, blah, and he's dead. Which normally, normally I might be like, oh, nice subversion of the trope, Farscape, because I appreciate when you do stuff like that. But the rest of the episode that's around that is such trash, I can't even give you credit for it. Instead, Rigel Lake calls a diagnostician on the phone, and the diagnostician is like, ah, you got a spider. So I see. And, okay, I'm not even going to get into, like, all of the crap, but she, like, sucks out your emotions and, like, puts them in an orb, and then she brings the orbs to her nest, and then when she's ready to finish you off, because I guess after she drains your emotions, she needs to finish you off. But she's going to drag you to where the orbs are to do it. Because she needs to eat you near the orbs. So they're going to need to use someone as bait. So that they can go where the orbs are. So that they can smash the orbs and release their emotions and also kill her. That's not even accurate. That's But that's whatever. Something like that. Fetch quest. It's actually, it's more like a tracking quest. Mm -hmm. Anyway, over where Scorpius and Sakozu are, Scorpius is, like, losing his shit because his scared half is coming out, and he, so now he's, like, attacking everyone because even though we've seen Scareds and they're sentient creatures, when it's Scorpius, it just turns him into, like, a werewolf. He's like a werewolf Scared. <laughs> he's entering his berserker rage. He's like Wolverine. How weird, how awkward do you think that conversation had to be when Wolverine had to be like, hey guys, I know I just joined the X-Men, but I feel like you should know sometimes I go into berserker rages where I just attack everything around me. So just like a heads up about that. Yeah. But yeah, Sakosu's like, my limbs, my limbs got ripped off. And Naranti's like, hey, hey, shut up. You're fine. It's your regular, you know, putting yourself back together as part of your power set. Shut up. Yeah. Watch your boyfriend dance the dance of, you know. Dance the dance of scare and transformation. Yeah. By the way, later he's going to be super, super embarrassed that Sakozu saw this side of him. But little does he know, Sakozu's a total monster fucker. Yeah, she Actually, really. She... <laughs> it's probably not little does he know. He probably knows that plenty well. Scorpius is acutely aware that Sakozu is a monster fucker. Yeah. So Aaron's talking to John, and John's like, I don't feel optimism. And uh, Aaron's like, oh my god, we get it. I was going to say this. I should feel really emotional here, but I don't. John's like... Oh no, did a spider creature suck <laughs> out your feelings about John and Aaron? Oh no! <laughs> Quite possibly... That is actually kind of what happened, isn't it? <laughs> yes, literally. So this is actually a great episode. <laughs> Very meta. Very meta. <laughs> anyway, John is all like, oh no, the worst part is that we're going to die before we get together. I really thought we were going to figure out a way to make it work, but no, I guess not. I guess we're not going to make it work. And Aaron's like, shut the fuck up, we're going to live. <laughs> oh my god, it's a spider that eats emotions. It's not killing anyone. <laughs> Right? Listen, listen. We are the crew that blew up a shadow depository. We're not going to die from a spider bite, okay? Do you know how many genocides we've accidentally caused? 
Because it's a lot at this point. No one is dying from an arachnid, okay? We live on a spaceship. Were you, were you doing the Beckett Mariner thing? Because it felt like you were leading me into the Beckett Mariner thing. I was doing the Beckett Mariner thing. Pilot lets them know that the trader ship has taken off. So apparently the spider has gotten into the trader ship and taken off. So now they need to go chase her because they need to, like, burst her orbs so they don't die or something. It's a space chase. But it is a space chase, just like the original title of this TV show. Oh, God. Anyway, John is like, I can't make it. You all go on without me. So everyone except for John piles into Dargo's ship and takes off after the traitor's ship. It's amazing that they were just like, okay. Right? They did just leave him behind. He's been being very annoying this episode. Even before he got his optimism sucked out, he was being very annoying. So I don't actually blame them. Wow. Uh, Speaking of blame, everybody's like, hey, Chiana, remember we were like, don't bring her on the ship. It's totally a trap. Yeah, yeah, Tiana, you were wrong to want to rescue that woman. Wrong and bad. What an amazing moral this episode has. I mean, I'm not all all media has to be moralistic or whatever, but also it it feels weird to go the opposite direction. Right? It's t- so it's so hard at that. <laughs> if you try to help people, a spider alien will try to eat your emotions and kill you. That's what I learned this week. Don't and, help people. Yeah. Which, to be fair, is occasionally good advice, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like it's worth the risk to try to help people who are in this situation. Yes, yes, definitely. So, they they get in Dargo's ship, they reach the traitor ship, and they find out that it is empty. In fact, the Spider-Woman set the ship to autopilot and sent it on its way as a decoy. And she is still on Moya, which means now their only hope is John getting his shit together and killing the spider lady. Why? Why do you ever leave anyone alone on Moya? Well, no, this is good. If they hadn't left him alone on Moya, there would be no one on Moya. And she would like... Well, except Naranti. Yeah, but Naranti... Oh, and I guess Scorpius and... Yeah, but Scorpius is in, like, weird scaring mode. He's not going to be able to kill anything, which is weird. You'd think he'd be better at killing stuff in weird scaring mode. You would. You would. Naranti could probably kill the spider. No, Naranti can only direct other people to kill the spider. Because Naranti... <laughs> she, she can't blow a bunch of hallucination dust in its face and then push it off a cliff. No, but she does give <laughs> some hallucination dust to John to use to, to take it down. But Naranti's not a... Uh, I, I don't really think Naranti is a fighter character, right? She she can only she can only assist other characters in doing shit. Mm. Fair. She's not Zan. No no offense to Zan. I I think her fight with Maldus would have been really cool if it was just her making psychic faces at him instead of her doing weird zero gravity kung fu and being like, my psychic powers are letting me do this. Meanwhile, uh, Scorpius is in a Fellini film. Yeah, uh, Sikozu's like feeding him stuff to calm him down and make him okay, I guess. And the shots are all very close in on, you know, his eye, his mouth. He reaches out and starts trying to choke her because... Scaring. Scaring. So, Naranti has given John a pep talk. Basically, you know what I appreciate... Even though John has had all of his optimism sucked out, the thing that is inspiring him to do what needs to be done is wanting to save his friends. I, I appreciate that kind of aspect of John's character. Also, uh, Sokozu snaps Scorpius out of his scare and rage, and now he he scoops her up in his arms and he's like, all right, let's celebrate by fucking or killing a spider monster, whichever one, you know, whichever comes first. Yeah. So Naranti has it like she has a one on one with the spider monster, and the spider monster's like, You're too old to eat. And Naranti's like, Rude. That is rude. It is super rude. Anyway, she wants to know where Scorpius is because she's ready to harvest, and apparently that's how this works. I don't know. All the traitors died, and she didn't harvest them, as far as we can tell. Anyway, doesn't matter. It, it, literally, it literally does not matter. Orbs or something. Orbs or something. 
But she finds Scorpius, who has been placed, as, as I mentioned before, has been placed out as bait so that they can figure out where her orbs are so that they can... <laughs> God. Smash them this or is something. The dumbest episode of Farscape. <laughs> it really is. It really, really is. Honestly, honestly, I'm telling you the reason that I wanted to show you this ep- the episode of Red Dwarf that this is like a weird ripoff of is because it's such a better episode of television. Anyway, John has tracked her because she attacked Scorpius and dragged him to his lair, and John sees the orbs. Yeah, the orbs that are in, like, spider sacks, and he's like, oh no, without my optimism, I can't murder this lady. You know what? I'm going to say something so controversial and so true. Yes. You know what's a better episode of television than this episode? What? Teacher's Pet. (laughs) Teacher's Pet. On Buffy is a better episode than this episode. Why would you say something so controversial yet true? I know, right? I remember I read this list a really long time ago that was listing plot holes in Buffy. And they're like, the fact that we see the mantis eggs at the end of the episode, but they never follow up on it. And I'm like, that's not a plot hole. Like, Buffy doesn't deal with every piece of supernatural crap that happens in Sunnydale. Right? Maybe the... Maybe the... uh... Initiative came through and exterminated them. We, yeah, we see probably. Them ex- we see them do that in another episode. Yeah. Not not those eggs, but... Or maybe they weren't ready to hatch yet, and they fell into the hellmouth with everything else. Yeah. Or, like, maybe there's a demon that eats other demon eggs. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on in Sunnydale. So, the spider creature finds John. This is where they have the discussion where she's like, hey, it's not personal, it's just dinner. And while they're having that discussion, Sokozu is, like, sneaking behind him trying to grab the orbs. And John's like, you know what? Fucking just kill me because you sucked out on my optimism and I don't have anything to live for anyway since Aaron is not into me anymore. Yep. Remember. And Sokozu, Sokozu sees this going down and is distracted from smashing the orbs by watching all this go down. And she's like, John, stop! This, you're, what you're doing is bad. And then this distracts the spider creature enough that she turns towards Sokozu and the John shoots her with his giant gun, which is implied was always the plan. But you know what? I don't, I don't know. Whatever. Who cares? I don't know. You know hey, you know that feeling when your space girlfriend gets impregnated by your duplicate who then dies? Possibly your duplicate. Possibly your duplicate. Your duplicate. Possibly her boyfriend that she said to his death several years ago. Or possibly this John even. He's had sex with her. Yeah, that's true. He has. Well, well, yeah, interesting. He had sex with her before the split. Yeah. Yeah. Or possibly, possibly the insane military commander <laughs> whose brother you killed in a in a... In an accident when you first arrived on the Uncharted Territories. But we know it's a John. It's obviously going to be a John's kid. We, we, don't, we don't know such thing. I guess. I guess. I guess it could have been like when Selena Kyle had a baby after one year later. And it was really, 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 really heavily implied to be Batman's. And then they ended up revealing that it was just some guy she had a one night stand with. And it's like... Really? Really? You can't just let Helena Wayne, I'm sorry, Helena Kyle, like, we know what you're doing here. We all know, we all know who Huntress is. Come on. Although personally, I'm more of a fan of the Helena Bertinelli incarnation of Huntress, but. Anyway, they kill a spider and then they eat her. Yep, they kill her and then they eat her. Mm-mm, spider soup. It's the best spider soup that any of them have ever had. It's uncomfortable. This is a problematic episode. Why, honey, it's spider-licious. Uh, so then Sokozu and Scorpius have the talk where he's like, I didn't want you to see my scared half. And she's like, your scared half is sexy. Yeah, it's super horny the way you make a bunch of weird lion noises and then start banging on the walls. And then we get to the 30 seconds of this episode that are actually worth it. <laughs> so John is talking to Aaron. They're basic they're they're having the fight they're having she's like stop taking fucking drugs he's like you can't (laughs) i like how a whole episode happened you could cut from the first scene to this scene and miss literally nothing oh shit shit it's true (laughs) 
They probably shot these scenes at the same time. Uh, like, you could cut the giant spider thing out of this plot entirely. Oh my god, it's true. Anyway, she's like, stop taking drugs. And he's like, you're not the boss of me. And then, and then, he's he's so mean. He's being so mean to Aaron. And then he tells Pilot... The comms are being weird and buggy. Can you please test them? And Pilot says, okay, but that's going to mean I have to take them offline. And John says, just do it. And then turns to Aaron and says, listen, well, the comms are offline. You have to know. Scorpius is trying to get the wormhole knowledge out of my head. He tried with the Aurora chair. He tried with the neural clone. He tried just asking me. And <laughs> none of that worked. But he's going to use you to get to me as long as we're together. And he's spying on us through the comms and so i i need us to not be together quote unquote and aaron's like you're just being paranoid you're using him as an excuse and then conveniently scorpius is like pilot are the comms down and aaron's like fuck you were right he is listening to us yeah because john's like you and the baby are my achilles heel you are my weakness which is a devastating but effective way of expressing a form of emotion. And then they, like, have a giant breakup audibly so that it's picked up on the comms, but also they, like, laugh and make out because relationship-wise, they're okay, even though Scorpius is definitely, definitely going to suck that wormhole knowledge right out of John's head at some point. There's nothing between us, okay? I don't love you. I don't love you either. Like... Scorpius is really good hearing. I'm sure he could hear them making out. <laughs> what was wrong with this episode? So we have some segments. We have some segments. Like, John, we are in a distant part of the universe. What world building worked for you this episode? Did you just think the spider was such a cool addition to the universe? It feels like worse versions of stuff they already did. I mean, this was just a shitty version of the... Uh... The Thing episode with that virus that overtook you. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shitty version of that episode. I mean, it's shitty's a strong word, but it's not great. You you just don't want to use strong words because all your strong emotions got sucked up by a spider monster. <laughs> like, John, we've encountered strange alien creatures. What creature design worked for you? Inverse! <laughs> Inverse! This episode was so bad that apparently the puppeteers didn't want to make a spider puppet. What? I mean, obviously, I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but why did they not make a spider puppet? It's like that episode of Bob's Burgers where they have someone who's not Bill Hader voicing Mickey, and it is so weird and distracting that it throws you entirely out of the scene. Well, at least I can assume that Bill Hader was busy. What were the puppeteers doing? There are no puppets in this episode that don't already exist. It's just Rigel and Pilot and a bunch of guys who don't even have, like, Star Trek-level prosthetics. They just have, like, the boils that indicate that they're dying. And then finally, like, John, we are looking for a way home. I like the last scene. The last scene was cool. I mean, I like that the last scene existed, but it didn't spark my emotions. Although, like I said, I, I actually, I guess I do have something for this, because I do love Scorpius and Sakazu. They are great. They're really, really great. I also like Naranti's bedside manner of just telling Sakazu to shut up. Yeah. This, this watch through... I'm appreciating Naranti a lot. Like, she always just kind of bled into the background for me, but I kind of oh, like her. Oh, Naranti's one of my favorite characters. I really like the new ones this season. I really like Sukozu and Naranti. I know Naranti was technically introduced last season, but <laughs> for like one episode. Yeah, Sukozu is so much better than Jewel. She's such a better Jewel. Yeah, and I know I've said this before, but the thing is, clearly they were just like, look, let's do Jewel again, but good. <laughs> so next time we're talking about the episode Mental as Anything. And the Peacock description is Scorpius takes Crichton, Dargo, and Rigel to an advanced training camp. When am I going to have my adventure with Zuko? Yes. Yes, it's time for someone else's life-changing adventure with Scorpius. <laughs> so I think that does it for this week. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maracruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, and Dan. 
If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or any episode or any episode of any television show, you can tweet at us at I Love TV Scenes or email us at I Love Television Scenes at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Wow. Space Stories.